0: Welcome to Reckoning and Repair, the art that's touched Philadelphia. Thank you to all who are tuning in and joining me for a conversation and storytelling with Shada Solomani. Together, we unravel misgivings with the art world and its forms of censorship, problems with liberal notions of repair, and Shada's memories and practices of care. Hi all. This is Angel Gutierrez, speaking from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, also known as Lenape Hoking, the ancestral lands of the Lenin-Lenape peoples, and today I am in conversation and convergence with Sheree Soleimani. Sheree Soleimani is an Iranian-American multimedia visual artist, activist, and professor based in Providence, Rhode Island. Her work takes a magnifying glass to look at the relationships between and amongst political elites, governments, powerful organizations, and corporations in Iran as well as the various forms of resistance which take place. Thank you so much for connecting with me today, Sheva.
1: Absolutely, thanks so much for having me. It's been really exciting getting to know you through our conversations.
0: Likewise, and before we begin, I wanted to read a quote from Black queer feminist scholar Alexis Pauling Gums from her book Long Meditation on Drowning: Black Feminist Lessons from Marine Mammals, and I'd like to take a deep breath with you afterwards, if that's all right with you.
1: Yeah, that sounds lovely.
0: Breath is a practice of presence. One of the physical characteristics that unites us with marine mammals is that they process air in a way similar to us. If they spend most or all of their time in water, they do not have gills. We too on land are often navigating contexts that seem impossible for us to breathe in. It we must. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank you. This is really lovely.
0: Yeah, of course. I'd love to continue with the check in and ask how are you doing? What are you feeling in this space and time?
1: yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm like, this is, I guess it's my first time today. I'm getting to decompress a little bit, which is nice. Um, It's been a busy day. You know that I do the animal rehab. So this morning, probably like 6.30 a.m., someone called me bright and early and was convinced that they had what they called a robin red breast. They're just called American robins. The robin's fine. (laughs) So now I have to go re-release it. And then when I texted you earlier, someone had called me about a red-tailed hawk that they said they were convinced, once again, was injured. So I thought, you know what, it's two streets over, I'll drive over and I'll give it a look. And of course, the hawk was fine. So it was another one of those moments where I realized that even though people are surrounded by wildlife all the time, they don't make the time and space to actually like get to know what they're living amidst and among and get to know the creatures around them.
0: I'd also love to talk more about this and about your bird rehab work and just where this all began.
1: Um, So I'll kind of make this the shorter version of the story, but my parents are both political refugees. They met in Iran. Um, My dad was working in a hospital training to become a doctor and my mom was a nurse. Um, They were both politically active. So during the revolution, my father had to escape over the border eventually made his way to America. My mother wasn't as lucky. So when she went to escape, she was caught at the border and she was imprisoned. Um, And when she was imprisoned, she was tortured and was in solitary confinement for a year. So when she left and when she finally was able to seek refuge um, as a political refugee, she had really severe PTSD and had also not fully learned how to speak English yet. So being in the States, having had a job as a nurse, you know, back in Iran, she wasn't really able to take the boards or the tests that she needed to, to be able to practice nursing in America. And I think that was really hard for her. I mean, like she was, she's always been like very strong-willed, independent, like self, you know, propelled woman and not being able to do her job of, and I think she really enjoys nurturing and helping people. was really hard for her. So we grew up in, I grew up and my parents raised me in Ohio, Southern Ohio on the border of Kentucky, so the Bible Belt, all places. It was a very inhospitable place to Middle Eastern or Solano region people, especially after 9-11. And my mom, you know, always would find some half dead animal that got hit on the side of the street in the country, which there's plenty of them. But we'd find these animals and my mom would bring them home and she would take all of her skills as a nurse and, you know, everything she knew about wrapping wounds and splinting things and suturing things to try to fix these wild animals. And so I grew up around that. I mean, obviously, if you're going to have a lot of animals that are coming in as roadkill, the chance of survival is low. But I would say maybe one in ten, maybe two in ten would make it and we would be able to release those animals again. And that was really, really special for me as a kid. She would let me stay home from school the days that we would do bird releases or raccoon releases or whatever. And so, you know, I have always kind of kept that in my back pocket if anyone ever like in college, I was like the bird girl and people would bring birds to my dorm room or to my apartment room and I would like take care of them or keep them in my bathroom. And then when I graduated from grad school, I moved to Rhode Island and I started teaching at RISD. And I remember, and I'm sure you know, both the art world and academia are very inhospitable places, especially to people of color and women of color. And I went to therapy for the first time in my life, which i so like surprised I waited that long. And my therapist was like, is there anything that you enjoy like doing that's not art and isn't teaching because it's not work and you know also being from an immigrant family, work is like very important because that's like success or like you know, equatable to success for people that don't you know have the easy route of just being able to like be white and like get jobs, um, so I was like yeah. I used to rehabilitate animals with my mom and I did it in college and I really like that and she's like okay maybe you should find that here and it was like less than a week I started volunteering at like the local wildlife association fast forward seven years and I'm one of the only people in the whole state that is federally licensed to keep and rehabilitate wild birds and migratory birds and my basement in my home is a wild animal clinic So it's like really functioning like hospital. So yeah, that's the long, it's a short, long story.
0: I want to ask care, going back to that, and about what you, what have you learned about care for yourself and for your loved ones from those rehabilitation work?
1: I think like, care is definitely like my love language or like whatever you want to call it um but I also do think it is because I was raised a by immigrants and b by refugees um I remember being in school and my parents having like you know my American friends come over and they'd be like oh they don't have they don't seem to have very like close relationships with their families and I remember I would always be so ashamed because my parents were such a big part of my life that I felt like I shouldn't tell people that like I would talk to my parents about my feelings because like it felt like that wasn't normal my parents I mean my parents trusted me and told me about what happened to them at a very young age and they have some pretty horrifying stories and so for them to communicate that to me you know they needed to be taken care of and even though I was 4 or 5 years old I was still able to listen And then when I got older, I learned that the relationship also evolved and that I could also bring things to the table and they would be there for me and we could talk about it. But I also started thinking about the failures of governments to care for their people and how that happened to my parents. And I think that's how I've really started to think about care is like finding family, whether it be chosen or biological, thinking about what different ways of caretaking are and how that caretaking also nurtures me. Um, it makes me feel like I'm doing something that's worthwhile when I am able to provide care in some way to either a person, but I think more specifically in my life, the animals. I mean, I love being an artist, I love being a professor, but neither of those things makes me feel as good as when I get an injured animal. It's tangible.
0: Care is the word after all, especially in moments where institutions, be it artistic or academic, stabilize themselves based off the expropriation of labor. So I want to ask, how do you care for yourself in the midst of these institutions?
1: It's been hard and I've learned the hard way. I remember the first few years, I felt like I was so lucky to have a curator even look at my work and it felt like I was supposed to do anything to please them. And I soon learned that institutions and curators have directors that they have to answer to and those directors have to answer to a board and the money that comes from the board is what really makes the decisions. And when they started seeing like these kind of like micro things, maybe microaggressions, That wouldn't be happening immediately on the surface, but you dig a little deeper and you're like, oh, why aren't they including either this piece or this sentence? And so in in my eyes, I find that as a sense of censorship. I mean, they're private organizations, so they have the ability to do that, but I'm not really interested in my work being just for the elite. So I think lately, for me, it's um, actually a recent example, is that for the work that I'm working on, I'm thinking about the United Nations podium as a global stage and one where individuals are supposed to, or politicians are supposed to have this like egalitarian way of addressing people. But you see the lack of discussions that are coming up, as well as the visibility of specific politicians. So I was looking at the United Nations, but he had to speak at the United Nations in Geneva, because the US wouldn't grant him a visa to come speak at the United Nations in New York, because they were pressured by Israel to not let him in because he's Palestinian. That's the only time that Palestine has had any type of seat at the UN. And I was, I'm remaking an image of Arafat at the UN podium. I've um, hired a Body language coach to talk about politicians' body languages and how we're thinking about phrenology and physiognomy and how like we racially like read bodies and like assume that they're going to be acting or behaving a certain way. But I've also hired a living sculpture. So he's actually becoming this monument that's re make these poses that are happening from these photographs. So we had our living sculpture. Pose as Arafat at the United Nations and remade that photo. And in the photo at the UN, Arafat's wearing a rafia, you know, a black and white rafia, which is the traditional headscarf of Palestine. And I had a curator I was working with that saw that and was like, oh, do you think you could try making it with just a plain white scarf? instead of having the mafia, like, don't you think that's too much of a link? And maybe you shouldn't be like talking about Palestinians. And I was like, that's the point of the work. <laughs> like, gonna... So, you know, that's where I don't make concessions. I'm making the work. I have interest in this work because of this topic. And if I want to have a politic in the work that I'm making, I'm absolutely going to make it. If someone's flattening what's actually happening, where's the message going? Who is it for?
0: I want to ask you, you know, what conversations are you tired of having?
1: Oh my God, I'm so tired <laughs> of all of those, like, I think reckoning repair conversations because I don't believe, I wish that I could believe in change. And I do believe in some types of change, but I am tired of people asking me what I would like to see in the world because I know that they don't actually want to make the commitment to making it happen. And the people that do have the power and the commitment obviously have no interest in making it happen because the things that I would like to see change are top down. Like the capitalist economy is not going to help people of color people that are like marginalized have any type of upwards mobility and so what type of society are we living in when there's this constant lack of access to things just like education that should be something that is good you shouldn't have to go to a private school and spend like boohoo fucking money i see these people that are able to have access to all of these things because they have you know money and i think that's what makes me the most angry is that there's such a lack of ability for people to have that same potential just because they're not in the same income class. Most people just ask the questions and then they say to themselves, oh yeah, I should get involved in that. And then they don't. And instead of thinking about it, they have a fucking committee that's called a DEI committee. And they're like, and now we have a committee that talks about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and they don't actually do anything.
0: I think we're nearing a bit towards the end of our time, but Before we wrapped up, I wanted to ask, are there any social media handles or other handles where people can go and support your work?
1: Ooh, yeah. I mean, hey, if anyone wants to, like, throw some money to the birds, um, my Venmo is literally at Shada Soleimani, um, S-H-E-I-D-A, S-O-L-E-I-M-A-N-I. And my IG handle, if you ever want to see the birds that I rehab or... The work that I'm doing in the studio every once in a while there's like a selfie but I don't really post on any of those um it's more about like, it's really just birds and art um uh, my ig handle is at sheda johnam it's s-h-e-i-d-a-j-a-m-a-m
0: thank you for listening to reckoning and repair the art that's touched Philadelphia reckoning and repair is a center for experimental ethnography project Engaged with the exhibit, Rising Sun, Artists in an Uncertain America, a collaboration between the African American Museum in Philadelphia and the Pennsylvania Academy of the Fine Arts. Open from March 23rd to October 8th, 2023.